everyone locked on big 12 podcast it is a crossover our friend jake hatch is back we are looking at the season in review for the byu cougars who are obviously joining the big 12 in 2023 what went well what didn't go well in the year 2022 and what does byu have to adjust before they join the league starting next season you are locked on big 12 your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Once again, Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Jake Hatch, the host of Locked On Cougars. You guys can find both wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. Follow me on Twitter at Josh Neighbors underscore. You guys can find Jake at Jacob C. Hatch. Jake, nice to see you again. Um First question to you, how do you feel the next game that BYU football plays will be as a member of the Big 12 Conference? Well, first off, thanks for having me back, Josh. Always good to be with you. But uh, the first game, well, I guess the next game that BYU plays will be in the Big 12. And that, that's exciting because it's been almost two years since BYU found out they were going to make it into the conference, one of the new four members that's coming in. And I know BYU fans and myself absolutely ecstatic to be a part of this conference in just a few months' time, really. Yeah, and also who the hell knows who they're going to play the rest of the way, right? I mean, the schedule has been the schedule has not been divvied up yet. Now a lot of that's because it sounds like they're trying to figure out what the deal with Oklahoma and Texas yeah. is. And people are saying, "Oh, why does it matter?" Well, if they're there for two years, it matters a lot. If they're there for one year, it matters a lot. There's a big difference. Scheduling and, so, and you know so on and, and so forth matters uh, you know a whole lot in that situation. But but uh, for BYU, an eight and five season. It's interesting. I think it started really, really well, right? Three straight wins or two wins for them. The Oregon game was kind of a reality check. They got two wins after that, went a losing streak, then went on the winning streak. So it was really a mixed bag of a year, but it felt like a lot of it was defined by the injuries they had on offense because their defense to me at least kind of was what it was. But they had a lot of injuries on offense specifically to receivers uh, Romney and Nakua, Mm -hmm. two crucial guys. And that felt like it defined a whole lot of their season. Yeah, and you're not kidding. The, the wide receiving core, those top two got injured. They had injuries in the running back core uh, that actually necessitated at one point them uh, having a backup running back in a game it was their sixth string running back. They they, they they got they got hit pretty hard in the running back room. Jaron Hall did not necessarily stay super healthy. He played every game but the bowl game, but he, that does not mean he was 100% healthy. I think anybody can point to the Notre Dame game. He could barely function, it felt like, in that loss to start October, and you're right. Kind of an up-and-down year for BYU in many regards. But the the good news is, and BYU uh, players and coaches talked about this. I was down in Albuquerque for that New Mexico Bowl this past weekend. They talked about the fact that their their chief concern was finishing the season with that four-game winning streak, winning that bowl game and getting some momentum going into the offseason and also going into, into the Big 12. And that's exactly what they accomplished with that win over SMU. Yeah, fun, fun. I mean, that was that was a very fun game to the very end. Yep. And and it's funny because you tell me if I'm wrong here, but BYU's defense didn't impress for a whole lot of the season. And oh. guess who? Guess who ended up helping? They got the win because the defense right gets a two point conversion stop. So you know, while they, it's kind of emblematic, right? They gave up a touchdown. Yeah. But they didn't give up the two point conversion, and guess what? They're able to get out of there with the win. So. On defense, generally speaking, what didn't work? 
this season? Uh, everything, all of the above, like, right? Everything, <laughs> rush, rush defense, pass defense, like nothing was working. And that actually necessitated right as soon as the season ended, the regular season ended, Elisa Tuiaki, their seven year uh, co- coordinator on the defensive side of the football, announced he was stepping down from his position. That also was along with uh, the other position coaches outside of one position coach. All of them gone. They cleaned house on the defensive side of the football, and they've uh, since made a new hire, a Weber State head coach, Jay Hill, uh, for Utah assistant, who worked with Kalani Satake back in the day at Utah, had a phenomenal run over nine years at Weber State, making them an annual FCS contender. Well, he's come in as the associate head coach and the defensive coordinator, and his task is to take this defense and transform it. And you're right. The, the New Mexico Bowl, crazy enough, BYU's defense stepped up to win that game for them. That's exactly what they needed. They got a, a pick six from Ben Bywater. You mentioned the fact they got the stop on the two-point conversion to seal that win. They got big plays on defense finally in that game. But if you go back through the previous 12 games before that, it was nothing. Nothing was working. And it necessitated a big change for Kalani Satake. Elisa Tuiaki is more than a friend. It's like a brother to him. And for him to have to move on from that guy, I think it hurt Kalani Satake really, really badly to do that. But he also realized, hey, we're going into the Big 12. We've got new expectations, new aspirations. We want to be a program that can contend relatively early on in our run here. Well, that's going to necessitate some interesting changes. And that necessitated a complete revamp of the BYU defense. Yeah, and I'll give them this too. Like that BYU schedule is, it's actually, I think this year was more actually like a Big 12 schedule than some of the other schools that you'll see because of the fact that they're an independent school, you know, that they were, you know, yeah. in football they were, right? So at South Florida, obviously he's actually an AAC opponent, but Baylor at Oregon, right? Utah State, Wyoming, Notre Dame, Arkansas at Liberty, who if you're going to play a, another independent, I mean, that's you know, a really def- a tough one to play. East Carolina obviously flashed a lot this year mm-hmm. at Boise, Utah Tech, and then Stanford on the road for playing SMU. So this is a pretty crowded schedule, right? We thought it would, you know, we knew it would be at the end of the beginning of the year. Um, so I actually think eight and five, not where they wanted to be. But if I were to take the sample of what BYU played, I think you have to say like, this is probably, a, you know, it's probably pretty close to what you'll get, right? Baylor, Oregon, uh, yeah. Notre Dame, Arkansas, uh, Boise, Stanford. I mean, you know, those are six schools right there are basically towards a power five level. Liberty, so they're in basically a seventh, right? So they were, they were kind of trending in that direction in terms of schedule. Also, Utah State, not a great year for them, but like pedigree-wise, it's, it's yeah. one of those. It's more towards – I mean, they were 10-3, and three, I think, last year. Well, and they're an in-state rival. That's the other thing about right. it. Boise right. State and Utah State have been longtime rivals. They've been, kind of been, they've been the constants on BYU's schedule as an independent over the past 12 mm-hmm. seasons. So that, that, that meant more in those games alone just because of the rivalry aspect. But you're right. A lot of what BYU's done over the past uh, – especially the last two seasons is they've scheduled very much like a power five team as close as you probably could get being an independent outside of Notre Dame to having a power five type schedule. And I think that's going to have BYU players. Uh, I want to say, I don't want to say ready for big 12 right. action because it's going to be 10 power five opponents beginning in 2023. They have Arkansas on that schedule. They make a return trip to Fayetteville in non-conference play plus the nine conference games. But I think the fact that they've played, routinely six and seven power five opponents every single season, especially the last two years in particular, there's, there, there's a feeling that BYU, they're not going to go into the big 12 thinking, all right, this is all sunshine and, and rainbows. We, we, we got this thing having beaten up on a, on a soft schedule. They, they, 
they got it handed to them a lot this year. Oregon, you mentioned Notre Dame, Arkansas. They had they they got tested and they they lost a lot of those games. So I think that's going to have them thinking, okay, we know where we stand right now. We can compete, but we have to be even better if we truly want to win those games, the majority of them. And that that's the next step for BYU. Right. I've, talked, I've talked to my podcast, just one more thing. I've talked to my podcast enough about the fact that BYU, they have had a little bit of a, a runway here to get ready to go into the Big 12. And they're obviously making changes, upgrading different uh, parts of their program to get ready for it. But really, you're not going to necessarily know what you don't know until you finally get in to the conference that that's the biggest thing is July one. Finally, BYU is an official member of the big 12 uh, early September. They begin play as a member of the big 12. And I think by the end of next season, we're truly going to find out more of, okay, where exactly is BYU short on certain things? And that's going to make BYU have to look at themselves and say, okay, what else do we need to change? What do we need to add to? What do we need to maybe take away? That is what I think is the biggest thing of over the next year of what we're going to learn about the Cougars. Quick word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's Locked On Big 12 podcast is brought to you all by the NHTSA. Do you all know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. This was paid for by the NHTSA. And the one thing about this league is like, it is so much about where you are as a program at that moment, right? The last, and I've used this a bunch as an analogy, but the last three years, six separate teams have played for a conference championship, right? So I mean, the last three seasons, 60, 60% of the league has been in the conference title game. Sure. And obviously, you know, you, you go from last year to this year, like Baylor goes six and six and Oklahoma State goes seven and five. And they weren't as, they weren't very impressive, right? So this league does turnover, which at some parts, some I guess perspective is um is opportunity, but also it also shows you how tough the league is, right? Iowa State this year heading into their twelfth game of the season, if they had scored twenty points in their first eleven games, would have had eight wins to show you how great that defense was all year. So like. This is a league that is, you know, and you've got, you know, teams like West Virginia beating Oklahoma State and Oklahoma there at, at the end of the season. Like, and that's not a good football team. So this thing is, it's really about like where you are at a, it feels like the last three seasons, at least, where you are at a certain moment in time. And first impressions do matter, right? First impressions do matter. So it's going to be a whole lot about like, where is BYU in 2023 at that moment? as they as they turn the turn the page i guess you will well you you're dead on with that the, 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 we all know that football it's not played in a vacuum like on any given week you mentioned west virginia beating oklahoma state like crazy things happen in this sport the ball is shaped weirdly and it bounces yes. so that that's just there's there's a chaos factor to this sport that you can't necessarily plan for but i i do think the byu the, a they're very excited to be part of the big 12 there's no doubt about that b they've done i think as much as they possibly can to prepare themselves going into the big 12 i think this season in, in many in many respects josh the 
eight and five record and the struggles they had this year, had they gone out and maybe won 10 games like they've done the previous two seasons, it probably would have been, a, oh, we're good. We got this thing. We're going to go into right. the big our thing. But I think the, the, the struggles they had real revealed to Kalani Satake in particular. Okay. I've got some cracks in my foundation here, this program. And I've got, I've got to shore those up going into the big 12 because we cannot afford to have those cracks or else they're going to be even more exposed as a member of the power five ranks. So in some ways, the 2022 season for BYU, a little bit of a blessing in disguise for the Cougars. Which is funny because I remember you and I, when we did the preview, we're like, man, would does BYU wish they had this team going into the Big 12? And they'll have some parts of it. So I guess that's yeah. kind of where we hit this. Like, Jaron Hall is coming back, correct? That he is. We, or, don't, or, yet. we don't know. Which we don't know. Yet, so we don't know that yet. So I feel like he should. BYU fans are with you. They, they hope right. I, I feel like, and as somebody, you know, once, I mean, I, I want BYU to do, obviously do well, member of the big 12 now, so they're in the family, but like, I remember watching him this year and I, I, I did get catch a good, a good bit of BYU football this year. They, they, they are usually on and spend some decent times to watch Um, with his injury history. And I think with the, he had a good year, but like yeah. incomplete body of work. That's a guy who's got that. He's got a really high ceiling. Yeah. But like the, the things that, I mean, the things that, you know, if his, if his floor is a, is a boat, the things that poke, poke holes, in the boat, it's pretty big holes, right? I mean, yeah. he has got some turnover issues to go along with the injury issues. I want a 10, 11 game season against power five, you know, 10, 11, 12 games. against power five schedule. And some good success for me to be sure about Jaron Hall as an NFL prospect because where are you seeing him being mocked right now? Well, so okay, I'll push back on one thing. The turnover okay. thing is actually not uh, actually is kind of a misnomer on him because I'm just pulling this up real quick. Yeah, it's I, what it's, it's six picks this year. I think it was yeah, six interceptions. Interceptions against thirty. Yes, that's not bad. So he, he's actually he actually yeah. very much took care of the football. But the the biggest for him, you're right, injury concerns. He. Right. he this is a guy, He, to his credit, he played the 12 regular season games for BYU this year. Like I said, he was not 100% in all 12 of those. Previous to this, in 2021, he broke ribs against Arizona State and missed the next, I think, three games. Maybe it was two and a half games at least. But the, the biggest thing is for him to prove that he can stay healthy. And that's what NFL teams, like you mentioned, they're going to poke holes in that. And that's a major hole because NFL teams, you're a commodity. I, I I know that sounds so bad to say. but yeah, He's a quarterback, tell, yeah. You're you're a commodity, and you're 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 being evaluated. Okay, how much can we rely on this guy health wise? And that's something that the NFL uh, personnel, whatever team is interested, or teams that are interested in Jaron Hall, they're going to be poking and prodding around that injury history, talking to doctors, talking to the trainers of BYU, trying to get as much detail on what exactly his injury history is. Is it a, a concern that it's going to continue? That type of stuff, and that is going to ultimately, I think, be a big factor in determining whether he's coming back or not. And the other thing about this, Josh, if he does not return, BYU, they're evaluating in the transfer portal right now, and they are going to mm-hmm. have to bring in multiple transfer portal quarterbacks if he does decide to leave because his backup, Jacob Conover, is now at Arizona State. So they're down they, – they played the New Mexico Bowl with a four-string quarterback. So right. they, they're, they're going to have to find options in the transfer portal cycle if they really – if Jaron Hall ultimately does leave that transfer portal becomes all the more imperative for BYU to find a difference maker at quarterback. So what is the, and, and uh, to, to one more point we we're just making there. Yeah. I mean, actually I'm just looking at it now 
I think it's 11 picks in 22 of his last 22 games. So actually that's pretty good, right? It's, it's like one pick every other game, which is not, I mean, we can, we can live with that. We live with that. Um, the playing, you know, how much he played in all of those games is yeah. actually the real issue. Now, the other the other count thing to counteract this is he's 24, I believe, right? right? He'll be so he'll be 25 by the time the NFL draft comes around this spring. He's old. Right. So the and and here's what I'll say about that. Like I, I don't know if the age thing matters that much in the NFL because really when you're planning for a quarterback and you know this, you, you obviously you know pay attention to the league, mm-hmm. like you really are planning for that rookie contract of theirs. Sure. Now, when you draft a guy like a Trevor Lawrence or, you know, whoever it is, goes number one, like, you, you know, you do have some thoughts about, but like, you know, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick. And I mean, you know, he is, he's obviously cycled through uh, some different teams and, and not saying he's a horrible player, but like the, the shelf life beyond your rookie deal is always a very murky prospect, right? Correct. Daniel Jones is kind of going through that type of situation right now many other guys have done the same thing so i don't know necessarily like him being 25 26 is a huge problem because he's still really in his physical prime once he's at the end of his rookie contract um and unless you're patrick mahomes they're not in josh allen not handing out the 10-year deals right uh, very often so or I mean, I guess Deshaun Watson—that's a different thing. But yeah. like you, you, you know, what I'm saying here is I, I don't know how much of a factor his age is. Well, and that's the other thing. He he can look directly at what's happening with Zach Wilson right now in the New York Jets. Zach Wilson, number two overall pick, and the difference between Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall in age is that Zach Wilson did not serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints like Jaron did. So Zach, when he came out, was 21 years old. He was right where most quarterbacks are. Jaron spent two years out in the mission field. So that's why he is an older prospect, but I'm with you on that is really these NFL teams. They're looking at the rookie wage scale. As you mentioned that, that four to five year window and saying, okay, what can we get out of this guy? And if he transcends that short, we'll give him that second contract, but they're, they're, they're simply looking at the, at the rookie deal. And that's something I think that Jaron's going to weigh is looking at what Zach's doing right now, being benched in favor of Mike white and, and, struggling a little bit, but still having his coach say he's going to be a good quarterback down the road. Okay, whatever. Whatever you say, Robert. Right, right. I think he can look at that and say, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, I, I can. I, I just maximize maybe my NIL earnings at BYU for one more year and then take what I can get in the NFL, whether that's as a second or a third round draft pick, et cetera, and see what I can get at that point. That's all on the table for a kid like this. But the, the biggest thing, I, I'm, I'm still of the opinion that he ultimately will opt to go to the NFL, but there is a lot pushing I for him to consider a heavy, pushing, pushing him heavily to consider returning to BYU. What are the skill guys around him? Obviously, the running back room, they should get a lot of guys back, right? I mean, it's, you know, with Tyler. I mean, also, shout out Tyler Algier. Uh, Tyler Algier looks awesome. I mean, how good does he look for the Falcons? That's great. But um, what's the running back room look like right for them uh, for them right now? So they're going to le- uh, have two of their top guys leave. Lopini Katoa, who has been just like this, uh, the 1B to every 1A running back over the past five years for BYU. He's out of eligibility, so he's moving on. Christopher Brooks, who was their leading right. rusher this year, he is a he was a one-year rental. He was coming over from Cal as a grad transfer, so he'll be done. But they did have the emergence of Hinkley Ropati uh, come along uh, during the season. He's a former junior college player who tore his ACL the first week he showed up at campus uh, for BYU in 2020, worked his way back. 
I think he's going to be an option next year, but they just recently in the transfer portal got their first big pickup in terms of a commitment that comes from Aiden Robbins, a transfer from UNLV, uh, formerly spent two years at Louisville. He had a thousand yard season for the running rebels down there in Las Vegas, a guy that BYU actually recruited out of high school way back when in the 20, uh, the 2020 recruiting class, if I recall correctly. And they, they always hope to get him to come to Provo and it took three years, but he's finally in Provo and he figures after going for a thousand yards last year, he's got to be thinking coming in. I'm going to be the next Christopher Brooks. I'm going to be the next Tyler Algier. I'm the next guy for BYU. So that's the good news at running back is they found a guy in the portal. Now on the wide receiver front, mm-hmm. I'm expecting Puka Nakua to be gone. Gunnar Romney's already announced that he's done. So both of them are moving on. They have a nice young core of talent though. They have Keanu Hill, Chase Roberts, Cody Epps, all guys who flashed major potential this season, but who is going to be the alpha? Who's going to be the Puka Nakua for this team? That's a great question. I do think they'll kick the tires on certain guys in the transfer portal, but uh, I, I think that they have a nice core of young talent there. And they got also got an, another major boost when their star tight end, uh, Isaac Rex, he announced he's coming back for another year at BYU. So whoever it is going to be playing quarterback for BYU, whether it's Jaron Hall or insert name here from the transfer portal, they'll have a nice, I, I think, stockpile of talent around them, but they got to f- identify a couple of key difference makers to give them that, that real boost. Right. And so at that wide receiver position, I mean, I'm looking at some of these guys, you know, they all have eligibility. Uh, I mean, Hill, Epps, Cosper, Roberts, and you add Rex back into the mix. You know, it sucks that the two, the two main guys got hurt, but I mean, if you're Jaron Hall thinking, well, we know I kind of went through the, the, the struggle at least looked looked pretty good I mean, for, for him pass the ball. If, if that's struggling without your two top weapons, kind of like the way it went and would like my chances next year. Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing about it. He, he he just seemed like he would throw another body out there and they got the job done. That That's the good news for BYU's wide receiving core. We we talked, uh, speaking of the media here in Utah, preseason, okay, well, if Puka and or Gunnar Romney go down, what does BYU have behind them? Well, right. start of the season, both of them went down. So we right. found out right away that they've got some talent there. They do need, whether it's Cody Epps, whether it's Chase Roberts, Keanu Hill, they got to have one of those guys become that quote-unquote alpha, the, the lead dog at wide receiver for them to be that guy in crunch time that you know is going to make that big catch, make that big play like Puka Nakua was for them. So they're going to have to identify that. But I, I think that the talent base – for BYU, at least uh, on paper, looks fairly decent going into the Big 12, but there's going to have some major turnover on the offensive line as well. So this is going to be a little bit of an offense in flux as compared to the previous two or three years where they had a pretty constant stream of some pretty talented guys. Yeah, they're going to return around, I guess, what, like 20 TD receptions from last year? Yeah, roughly, yeah. That range. yeah. Which is still, it's pretty good. That's right. It's pretty, pretty good number. The offensive line, yeah, that's one thing that, I mean, I feel like they they felt really good about this group this year. They did. Um, and they, yeah. they, they did. They did fairly well. The, yeah. the biggest thing for them is they're going to lose four guys who are major contributors on that offensive line. The entire left side of the line is moving on. Blake Freeland is, is expected to enter the, not the transfer portal, enter the NFL draft. His running mate, Clark Barrington, made headlines earlier this week by entering the NCAA transfer portal as a grad transfer. Uh, keep an eye on him potentially going to Baylor. Uh, he mm. has his brother Campbell, who's a freshman All-American, already announced he's going to join Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes, former BYU assistants, down there in Waco. Uh, Clark has decided he wants to play one more year of football as a grad transfer. It wouldn't surprise me to see him playing in, in Waco. Uh, they also lose it at right guard. They had a tandem of two seniors, Hesla Chance and Joe Tukuafu, who kind of split time as starters there. They're both moving on. So they're bringing back essentially two starters. They're starting center Connor Pay and the right tackle uh, Kingsley Suomata'ia. 
He's probably going to move over to left tackle, though. So you have two building blocks along that offensive line, but that's a group, like I mentioned, that's kind of been a stalwart unit for the last three or four years, really has not had a lot of turnover, really grew up together, and now all of a sudden it's getting torn down a little bit. On on defense, so how much are they returning? How much does it – because I remember you and I talked about it. It was like, just because they're back doesn't mean they're good. And that that proved that proved <laughs> out exactly what, what you just mentioned. It, it's just because they're back that doesn't mean they were good. Right. They're going to have major turnover at linebacker. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Three of the top five tacklers from their linebacking core are going to be leaving. Their top tackler, though, Ben Bywater, the star of the New Mexico Bowl, is expected to be back. He just underwent sh- shoulder surgery on Monday. Uh, he is expected to be full go by the time fall camp rolls around. The, he'll also have Max Tooley, kind of a hero with big play after big play earlier on in the season before uh, suffering a season-ending season injury. He's also expected to be back. So they'll be the lead dogs, a linebacker, with a lot of other young guys uh, hoping to step up in to fill some roles on that linebacking core. The defensive secondary, you see two senior cornerbacks go out in D'Angelo Mandel and Caleb Hayes, but they have a uh, Gabe Judy Lally who actually took over one of the starting positions midway through the season back. They also have some junior college guys and some young freshmen they really like at cornerback. Safety is pretty set. Malik Moore actually will lead dog going into the season at safety. Broke his hand in the fourth game of the year. Lucky enough, he had a redshirt year, so he sat out the rest of the season and he'll be back to lead BYU in that defensive secondary. And then the, the one unit I haven't talked about the defensive line uh i'm expecting whether it's guys that are close to being done with their eligibility are done with their eligibility or have a degree in hand they're going to either be asked to move on or they'll move on of their own volition because i think jay hill realized that the defensive line for byu was a major major weakness this year he has come in he's evaluating all aspects of this unit I would imagine you're going to see some major turnover on that defensive line, but there is a lot of bodies there on that defensive front. Even if they do lose a significant number, I think they have enough bodies there to feel like they can plug gaps. And they've also really been scouring the transfer portal and the junior college ranks to hopefully shore that up a bit. Yeah. So, so what I want to kind of dive into that really fast. What is two things because we kind of go together. What's the NIL situation. and, And also what are the, is there been, I know everybody's kind of mentioned this, what is the transfer portal conversation at a place like BYU? Obviously it is different opposed to other places. So is the NIL different? Is the, is the way they assess transfer portal guys different? Are they making some exceptions now, which, you know, I, you know, I know we know some schools starting to do right. Colorado, Deion Sanders, in that direction. What, what is the BYU situation on both those fronts? BYU is all in on using the transfer portal to supplement their roster. That's very, very clear. But the thing is that they understand there are two things that they have to work around. Uh, A, the honor code. BYU's honor code, it's talked about all the time. It is something that you very much have to be willing to live up to. There, it's, it's non-negotiable. And BYU will make that very clear with these guys when they're recruiting them. I think BYU actually sees the transfer portal as an asset in that regard because these are guys who have been to college for a year, two years, three years, four years, and they've experienced all of what college life uh, right. throw at them. And in certain circumstances, they're like, I'm sick of that lifestyle. Let me go to a university where that stuff's supposed to be off to the side over here and I can focus on football. That actually can be an asset in mm-hmm. BYU's case in certain with certain guys. So they're going to use that aspect for it. So they have to work around the honor code and also academics. Uh, you mentioned Colorado. They have announced they're going to make some exceptions. Uh, BYU has always tried to be as flexible as they can with regards to getting guys into school, taking uh, chances on certain guys. But there's there's a limit that they will they will not go past. So they have to make sure that the academics are are fairly locked up and then in order 
for these guys to be a part of the BYU football program. So that's that's on the transfer portal side of things. But they will always be looking at the transfer portal. They've used it to great effect since it, it came in. Annually, they have brought in a running back uh, to come into this program that has been usually a difference maker for them. So that, that's the good news is they have proven that they can find guys in the portal that have success at BYU. Now on the NIL front, uh, they were one of the programs when NIL was released. If you remember Miami and BYU were kind of right there, right at the get go. And we're all in on this. We're, we're, we're we love this. We're going to help our athletes out. They have a team wide deal with built bar. Who is a sponsor here on the locked on podcast network uh, that pays all of their athletes, including their walk-ons a, a stipend every single year which is a phenomenal thing. But as, as NIL collectives have risen, that's where BYU's kind of fallen behind, Josh, and that's where BYU's trying to play catch-up right now. I do believe that they will have a collective put together at some point in the relatively not-too-distant future, but it's got to be something. BYU as a university is not going to be like, okay, let's get a bunch of millionaires together and just toss money at dudes. That's, right. that's, not, that's not how BYU operates, being a, a faith-based oh. institution. They will. They will allow. There us- needs to be some substance behind what these exactly. these deals are. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. BYU and they want to make it where if you're going to be part of the NIL deal for BYU, they want to make it more than just show up for an autograph session and here's X hundred thousand dollars. That's right. that's not what they want it to be. They want it to be for these athletes where it actually can benefit them down the road, whether it's uh, helping them in their future career, whether that's the NFL or beyond. They they want to give them life skills along with this, and that's what they're currently going through right now. I think they will have a collective put together very, very soon. At least I hope they do because they can't afford to fall much more behind because there's other programs out there that are picking off guys with big money offers and BYU realizes that, but it's going to be a little more uh, yeah, substantive than, hey, let's put these five millionaires together and say, right. hey, uh, young man, you want to come play for BYU? Here's X hundred thousand dollars. Come come play for us. They're going to be a little more to it than just that. And and, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's kind of, I think, what a lot of us, you know, if anybody's watching this, I think it's kind of what we all assumed, right? I mean, this is not going to be a situation where it's like, you know, well, you showed up one and Barnes and Noble to sign up for people's things and it was it, right? You get paid $10,000, which is like, which, which is what it should be. You know, yeah. I mean, like what, what BYU wants it to be is what it should be. Yeah. They, they, BYU will allow those guys to do autograph signings. Right. right? Yeah. That's, that's totally fine. But they just, there's they, just a bit more substance to all of it. Exactly. They, they want it to benefit these athletes rather than them just throwing a bunch of money at them because these are still young, impressionable young men they, that, let's be honest. Very few of them have probably ever seen that much money in their entire life. They don't have a CPA. They and they they want to do what whatever they can think of with that money. So I think they just want to make it where okay, you know what? We're not going to put you in a bad situation in your teens or early twenties financially by just saying, "Hey, um, booster so and so, give that kid that money." That they they want to make where these kids understand. Okay, this is how money can help you. This you can set up your future if you do the right things with this. And I, I you're right. It's what collectives and what nil is supposed to be sadly it's kind of been morphed and changed as we all expected into something different but i think byu is going to try and be a little more i guess one of those pillars that say you know what we can do more with an nil than just throwing money at people all right i'll ask you i'm going to ask you one more question i'm I'm going to ask you this probably when we talk again and whenever that is for just a, a solo byu show is byu ready for the big 12 in football 
I believe they are as close to being ready as they possibly can be, if that makes sense. So let me, yeah. let me, let me give you an example. Jay Hill was a very, very successful coach at Weber state. He, like I said, he annually, they were an FCL. You could pretty much uh, pencil them or write them in ink into the FCS playoff field, whether it was a, as a seeded team or an at large bid, they were getting into the playoffs. He, he built an, a contender there at Weber state. He was not going to come to BYU just because opportunity was there. There had to be money behind it. And I have it on very good authority that BYU is paying him north of $1 million to be BYU's mm. head coach and defensive coordinator. And Josh, it's not too long ago that BYU's head coach didn't make more than a million dollars. BYU is finally stepping up financially and realizing, you know what? We've got to compete with the big boys. We've got to pay power five level salaries. And that's exactly what they did. So th that to me screams that BYU, yeah, they're, they're, they're building this to where they think they're going to be able to step in and not necessarily be a contender, but compete in right. the big 12, but they, they realize it's going to take a financial commitment and to their everlasting credit, they have stepped up because like I said, it's not been too long ago that BYU was uh, kind of a laughing stock in many regards. And trust me, there's, I know two of two former assistants who told me, Jake, I'd love to stay here in Provo, but when I can double my salary, I'm, I, I'm, I gotta go. And that, that has hurt BYU in the past. That appears to be a thing of the past. That's, that's a very positive sign for the Cougars. You know, and, and increased distribution in terms of the media value, that's going to help them a lot too. Hey, All right. well, oh, one thing on that, Josh. Uh, so the numbers for the media distribution, $40, 50000000 million, BYU has never seen that amount of money in their athletic right. department. It is going to completely change the BYU athletic department. Uh, the highest estimates of them in independence was they were getting – 10 to 15 million annually if you're doubling and tripling that or if it's 10 million quadrupling it imagine what byu might be able to do with that type of cash infusion into this program so they got to use it the right way but right they're, they're, and it helps all the other sports too you know what i mean i mean look they're gonna have to make some strides in a lot of other sports to you know to compete with what they're doing i mean the Big 12 churns out baseball prospects. And yeah. we've all been talking about how everybody's so excited to go play baseball at BYU because of how beautiful a stadium is. But it's like, you know, you're going to be able to, to bring in some serious guys, mm -hmm. you know, serious, some super, super serious assistant hitting coaches, right? I mean, this yeah. is the Big 12 is a league where, you know, uh, the holidays are, you know, our legacy at Oklahoma State and Ventura is a, a uh -huh. graduate assistant hitting coach. Like, you know, I think that that stuff will change for other programs as well. It's exciting. I, I yeah. mean, I'm I'm fired up, and I, I know it's it's been so cool talking to you as part of the. All right, Jake, we can't wait to bring you in. We can't wait to bring you in. What do you think about all this? And it's like, football's in. You know, we did, I mean, it. We did it. We're here. <laughs> we were here. I mean, like signing day is you know, time on Tuesday. Signing day is tomorrow, and mm -hmm. and like that, you are signing a class that are going to be Big Twelve athletes, mm -hmm. and, and so we are here. We are officially. Yeah officially here it's awesome it's and awesome. That, that that's the good news byu fans trust me they they have been waiting and waiting and waiting and kalani said it himself kalani satake after the new mexico bowl in the post-game press conference he said i asked the players to not talk much about this but now that it's actually here let's go we're ready let's let, let's get to it because they're they're excited the the program's excited fans are excited and the nice part is they can mention the recruits they know that hey you're you're a power five athlete it, it, it's here yeah and I can't, I cannot wait to see it. Actually, I think there's a chance we might get a new logo in the middle of the middle of the summer here. I, I think there's a chance that we might get a new logo. So if, if it's the X with the two eyes next to it, I'm fired up to see it or whatever else, Brett, your remarks got cooked up. I'm fired up to see it. All right, Jake, where can people find you and your work in all of its variety? 
Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see my Twitter handle down there. It's Jacob C. Hatch. I weigh in all, on all things sports here in the state of Utah. But you can follow the show on social media as well. Locked on Cougars on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're all over social media. And you can find Locked on Cougars. Just search it out wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. Awesome. Jake Hatch, I'm sure we'll be talking very, very soon. Thank you for having me, Josh.